Good evening, everyone. Tonight's class is called The Makeup of the Animalistic Soul. And to understand the animalistic soul, we have to put a touchy subject. We have to discuss free choice. We, and we'll for a moment even touch upon the, the question. You know, if you want to stump someone, you want to stump a rabbi, so you ask him the question. Body, what is the question? It's a famous question. How could there be free choice if there is divine providence? If there's divine providence, and Hashem knew that yesterday my flight was going to be canceled and I had to take another flight so they were, I had no free choice if Hashem already, if Hashem already knew what, that, what I was going to do I didn't have free choice familiar with the question Moshe? but before we get to that question is free choice important? Is it important that Hashem gives us free choice? Absolutely. Why is it important? <laughs> well, I have a very simple answer. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, you've got a simple answer. I'm not going to attempt to get in the No, 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 there are Kabbalistic answers, and whatever you tell me, I'll say is good. The simple answer is Hashem created reward and punishment. One of the 13 principles of faith is that there is reward and punishment. If we don't have free choice, then we can't be rewarded or punished. You don't go and reward someone for just being. Yeah, but... And you don't go and punish them for early, being. Early, early in the Torah, I'm going to say, in terms of secular people, it wasn't until uh, Israel was conquered with the Greeks that the idea of heaven and hell came into being. I, it was always my impression that the notion of heaven and hell was not an issue, that we did free choice just for the mitzvah of doing it, to intensify our bond with God. But the idea of hell, and we knew about Satan, because Satan is the one who made us go to the wrong path, and he was also the one who pre persecuted us when we were standing before God. From the beginning of creation, okay. Hashem already tells Hashem already tells Well let's let's even look at Adam and Eve. Adam wasn't in heaven, he was in Gan Eden. He was kicked out. Mm -hmm. Eve was punished with having the, the pain of childbirth. So we already see the, the idea of reward and punishment happened within two hours of the creation of the world. And, and uh, the, yes, Gan Eden and Gehenna, both of them were created right away and uh, the flood happened. What could be worse than the flood where the whole world was destroyed? All right. So reward and punishment is a key factor in the world. In order for there to be reward and punishment, there has to be free choice. 
in order for there to be free choice, and here comes the clincher, free choice is only if you have a real choice. If there's something that's beautiful and something ugly, that's not called free choice. You didn't really have a choice. If, they, if someone gives you a good apple and a bad apple and you cho choose a good apple, you're not a smart person. You haven't made a choice. You know th to take the good thing. It's just an animalistic reaction. Very good. See, you're right. If someone comes how's, to you and says... How is it just animalistic? You're making... Oh, because an animal can tell between good food and bad food. It's, it's, uh, mm. I mean, you only have to think about it. Yeah, when you're presented with, it's when you're presented with two alternatives that look almost identical that you really have real free choice comes into here. Correct. Free choice when you have two of the same. They look identical. They? they look identical and they almost are identical. So if we say that there's good and bad, but the good is good and bad is bad, it's going to be hard to have free choice. So therefore we're going to see that good and bad are identical. Mm -hmm. And again, Hashem had to make it that way. Because if there's no free choice, then there's no reward and punishment. <clears throat> you know, we mentioned before that famous question that how could there be free choice and divine providence? <clears throat> I'll give an analogy you could take it or leave it, that this may answer the question. Who here likes to climb mountains? Michael likes to climb mountains. You're standing at the top of the mountain. Tip of the mountain. You see Reuven coming up from this side, Shimon from this side, going each 150 miles an hour. And you see that they're going to crash. You see this a minute before it happens. You know what's going to happen. Does your knowledge at the top of this mountain affect those two people or, and their crash? No. Not at all. Your knowledge has no connection to that fact. You know the future. But your thought did not in any way shape or shape create that crash. So try and take that analogy and, and transfer it to how Hashem knows what's going to happen but He knows what we're going to choose. It doesn't in any way make us make that decision. Rip, I, um, I remember at previous classes we were told that God chooses when and where we're born and the rest is up to us. I know it was a uh, Chabad because they're the only classes I go to. Hakol Bide. Good evening. Good evening. Welcome. Hi, so I'm really, I'm a friend of Melissa's. We're so happy you came. Thank you. Please join us. Hi. 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 Um, do we have a copy? Um, Michael, do you mind bringing a, a copy? Thank you. Welcome. What's your name? Laura. Laura. A pleasure to meet you. So. There is a quote from the Talmud that tells us that everything is in the hands of heaven aside from the fear of heaven. I, I don't know how that would play in, but we'll talk after the class more about it. So isn't this whole process of divine 
intervention or divine province. Province. This is the whole process that's happening during Rosh Hashanah when God is opening the book of life. From the year to year of your life, He's determining all the events that are going to happen during that year, during that week before Yom Kippur, right. before He closes it. He's determining all of the events, preordaining all of the events. They're going to how much money you're going to make, all of the all of the wealth and the health and the different things that are going to go on in your life. That's yeah. the, this is the process of that. Yes. Divine yes. So now, let's but, look at... what does it say at the end? But prayer and repentance avert oh, the degree. Very good. Avert the evil degree. Yeah. So holding chapter 6. And until now we discussed the godly soul. And today we're going to start discussing the animalistic soul. There's two souls that we're learning of. And the second soul we're going to discuss today. The Almighty has created, at the beginning of chapter 6, let's open up our Tanya's in our red book, page 23 in our handout at the beginning. God has made one thing opposite the other. Zeh le'umah zeh asa elekim. Hashem has made one thing opposite the other. In other words, whatever Hashem made in the holy, Hashem made the exact same in the opposite of holy. <coughs> and so the same makeup of the godly soul is going to be the makeup of the animalistic soul. In other words, we're going to learn that it has ten faculties. It has three garments. But there's going to be one key difference and I'll challenge everyone here to find, see if you can find that key difference. If not, we'll, we'll look at it together and see why there is that difference. Let's read it together. God has made one thing opposite the other. Just as the divine soul consists of ten holy sephirot, just as the divine soul has the three parts of its intellect and the seven parts of its emotions, and the ten sephirot are closed in three holy garments, the three garments of thought, speech, and action, so does the soul, which is derived from the Sitra Ahara of the Klipas Noga. Two phrases here. <clears throat> We've used the word Sitra Ahara, and we we're using the word Klipas Noga. I'll say qu quickly what these two items are, and as we get into the Tanya, we're going to actually focus on these terms. But Sitra Achara means the other side. The other side means the side of the unholy. So the second soul comes from Sitra Achara, the other side. <coughs> but within the other side, there are two parts. There is the completely unholy that we don't have the ability to use out. Could someone tell me something that in this world is completely unholy and there is no way we could use it out? Yeah. What? Okay. A, a chazer, a pig. Right, you can't. There's no way to elevate that part. Good example. Good example. We're not allowed to eat it. We can't eat it and if you do... The Goyim need to eat it. Yeah. Correct. We're, we're talking over here about a Jewish soul. Okay. So if a Jewish soul 
if a, a, a Jewish person will eat that chazer which Hashem has said not to eat for a Jew because yes if a non-Jew eats it that's fine not only that's fine as we've discussed in chapter 1 Jews and non-Jews we both have tremendous missions in life and so our discussion here is not saying that the Jew is better than the non-Jew at all not at all we're just saying Hashem has commanded us for example not to eat the chazer not to eat the pig and if you do, God forbid you've eaten something that is completely unholy. I can't elevate it. This makes one of the three garments, it, it increases its heaviness. It's, it's Correct. Correct. So, our second soul is from the other side, Sitra Akhara, but it does not come from the terrible klipa that cannot be elevated. It comes from klipas noga. Which means... I'm going to leave that for a later point to Tanya, with your permission. But it's a, it's a point, it's a part of klipa, which can be elevated. So which, something like a computer would be part of the klipa soda. It's a part of it. It's something that can be used for fair enough. good and bad. Fair enough. What is a klipa? Klipa means a shell, literally speaking. But the, the specific definitions of these terms we're going to deal with at great length in Tanya. So I'd like to not focus on them right now. So this second soul, which is clothed in man's blood, <coughs> consists of ten crowns of impurity. Our running through our blood is, our, is the animalistic soul. Why? <coughs> the animalistic soul is it's not a bad thing. It's not that there's this impure part of us. No. The animalistic soul is the vitality of our body. The vitality of our body is within the blood. The blood has that secret connection as, as we discussed a few classes back. We even had Dr. Yosef give us a little hands-on about blood. Blood has this spiritual dimension, the dimension of heat. And so the soul, the animalistic soul is within the blood. And this animalistic soul is made up of ten attributes. But what are the ten attributes called when we come to the animalistic soul? Ten crowns of impurity. Interesting. We're calling the ten attributes. We're not calling them ten attributes. You know, if you, if you look earlier in chapter 3, where we discussed... Where we discussed... If you have the red Tanya, look on page 10. You'll see in, the, in chapter 3 it says, in the fourth line of chapter 3, corresponding to the 10, supernal 10 Sifirot. It's clear, it's called 10 Sifirot. The three parts of your intellect and seven parts of your emotion are called 10 Sifirot. Yet yeah, when it comes to the animalistic soul, we call it 10 crowns of impurity. That means our body, the animalistic soul, is made up of the same composition of ten. So, in chapter three, when they're referring to power as givura, that would be the positive well, sefira, and then the negative sefira would be pride. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. So why is, is klipa called a crown? A crown is seemingly an awesome thing. And yet here we're saying 
that the animalistic soul is made up of ten crowns. Well, what? that sounds great. Crowns are good. But you could only have one person wearing a crown. Only one person could wear a crown. And with this I'd like to introduce you to two worlds. The world of Tohu and the world of Tikkun. By raise of hand, anyone heard the words Tohu v'Tikkun? Fantastic. Tohu and Tikkun. Yeah, I think someone... Uh, Michael, do you mind checking? I think someone's knocking at the door. Do you mind checking? Please. Tikkun alone. Tohu and Tikkun. And let me introduce you to a secret. Let's look at footnote number one in our Tanya. It reads as follows. It reads, And there was evening. Please, please join me inside. And there was evening. Rabbi Yehuda ben Shimon said, Let there be evening is not written here, but and there was evening. When we look through creation, uh, awesome, thank you, Michael. Yeah, no, Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Do you want to take care for yourself? Another one. There you go. Okay. When we look through creation, the first chapter of Beratius, we see that Hashem says, Let there be light. Let there be humans. Let there be vegetation. And then Hashem says, And, he cre and, and His words created. Yet, <coughs> one phenomena we don't find that. And that is the idea of day and night. If we look inside of the Torah when it says, it never says day was created, it never says night was created. It says, and there was evening and there was morning. What, what do you mean? It, let there be evening. Rabbi Yehuda ben Shimon said, the Torah should say, let there be evening, create the evening. When was the evening created? You're just writing, and there was evening? Hence we know that a time order existed before this. From here, the Medrash tells us time existed before the creation of the world. What does this mean? Rabbi Avahu said, this proves that the Holy One, blessed be He, went on creating worlds and destroying them until He created this one and declared, this one pleases me. Those did not please me. By raise your hand, I'm just curious because it's an awesome medrash. How many people have heard this medrash before? We have a few. It's an amazing medrash. The medrash says, we, this is not Hashem's first world. You ever had a science experiment? You had a science fair when you were younger in, in uh, school? You ever created one thing and did another thing It didn't work out well the first one? Sure. Sure. <laughs> so Hashem did the same thing seemingly. Hashem created a few worlds. He said, oh, these are not for me. And then He created the world. And how do we know this? Because we know that evening was already around, time was already around before the world was created. Because Hashem said, and there was evening. It doesn't say anywhere it was created, so it must have been around beforehand. Kabbalah tells us that this is a reference to the world of Toh. If you have one crown, or if, if, if you have ten kings in one country, it's not going to work. It's impossible to work. There has to be one king, one ruler, one person leading. 
try sticking 10 kings on the same country together to talk it out, what's, what's going to happen, David? Nothing. Nothing is good. <laughs> <laughs> Saying nothing is good. They'll be at each other's throats. <laughs> that was how Hashem created the original world. Hashem created the first world of Taihu, where there were 10 attributes. But each one of them was a crown. They weren't willing to work with the other. There was no interaction between them. And you know what happened? Not like David said, where nothing happened. Well, They chaos. fought and they broke. Chaos. There was chaos, there was destruction. <clears throat> and guess what happened? The world of Tohu broke up into pieces, into shards. And I don't know if you're familiar with this, but these are the shards that are throughout everything in the world that we need to purify. What are we trying? When we take an apple and we make a blessing on it, what type of godliness are we trying to capture? Are they not the klipa? The klipa is a shell. We're trying to get the, we're trying to get the orange from, from the shell around it. So within this world, what are we trying to do? We're actually trying to go ahead and take out those 288 shards that broke from, from this initial world and elevate them. What? That's right. We're trying to get out those shards that have gone out throughout the entire world and elevate them. So they weren't willing to work together. And that is the <coughs> ten crowns of impurity. Yes, there's ten crowns, but ten crowns cannot work together. So we had this initial world, and it broke apart. And I would like to hear tell you a secret of Svirata Omer. Michael, could I bother you? Yeah. Could you go and bring, bring 12 Sidorm here? Please. I'd like to hear show you a secret that will tell us how we are different than the ten crowns of impurity and how that is our mission throughout Sfirat Omer. How many days are there between between the second day of Pesach till Shavuot? 49. Why 49? Why 49? A technicality. It took us 49 days to go from Egypt to Mount Sinai. That's one reason. <coughs> but now, I'd like to share with you the, the, the true reason. You know, when the Jews were in, in Egypt, they were sunken into 49 levels of impurity. Memtes Shari Tuma. Now, our task, the Jews' task, was not only to leave those 49 levels, but to elevate themselves. And now we're going to see what 49 levels of elevation are. Let's open up our sitter. It gets you to your, it's like an ID. It gets you to your top, to know yourself or spiritually to God, like your identity. Yeah. the numbers. Like. Well, we're going to identify how we got to number 49 and what they are. And if anyone would like after the class, I'm happy to actually give them specific information on each one of the 49. Open up our sitter to page 136.
How many spheroid are there? Remind me. Ten. ten. How many of those ten spheroid are connected to intellect? Three. How many are connected to emotions? Seven. seven. Remember, Kalipa does not work together. Klipa says, I am myself. Klipa is the is against godliness. Something that is not godly says, I am myself. I am a crown. Klipa is the shell around the world that conceals God from us. Correct. Klipa literally translated as a shell. Klipa is Hebrew. So Klipa says, I am a crown. I won't work with you. Okay? So if you work for Klipa, how many emotions do you have? Seven. But if you work for godliness, how many emotions do you have? Well, every emotion works with the other. So how many emotions do we now have? What is seven times seven? Forty-nine. So let's list the seven emotions. Could anyone list them in Hebrew for me? Chesed. Givura. Tifaras. Netzach. Hod, Yisod, and Malchus. Does anyone here have that initial paper I gave out with the chart? David, do you have the chart with you? I took it out. Here, fantastic. If I could borrow this. That will work fine. Okay, if you remember, the bottom seven are the emotions. Each one of these emotions has all, all the other six within it. But I made a mistake. Each one of these emotions has all the other seven. That means within kindness, there is kindness within kindness. Within givura, within being strict, there is the strictness of strictness. And don't trust me. This is printed in the sitter. Look inside. Please. Yeshua, right after it says, today is one day of the Omer, on the right-hand side, what does it say? <coughs> chesed, Shebi Chesed. You know Hebrew, right? Yeah, what does Chesed, Shebi Chesed mean? With chesed. chesed, within Chesed. Good. Then we, so the first week of the Omer, you'll see we're going to say how all seven attributes are within chesed. You have chesed, shebe chesed. On day two it says, givura, shebe chesed. Day three is tiferes, shebe chesed. Day four, netach shebe chesed. Hod shebe chesed. Yisod shebe chesed. Malchus shebe chesed. All seven. Let's turn to week number two. Now we're going to go through givura. You have chesed shebe givura. You have givura shebe. Amazing! So why are there 49 days? Because each day from Pesach until Shavuot, we work on one of the Sephirot. But this is only if it's a godly Sephira because it's only if it's a godly attribute because impurity won't work with you. Impurity says, I am a crown. I don't need you. So what is more beautiful? We now understand. Any, any questions?
No? We now understand how the number 49 comes in. But this also gives us good clarity, seeing it in the sitter, how all seven are inclusive of all, all the other seven, gives us a good understanding of why calling the ten attributes crowns of impurity is actually really a negative expression. I can't answer you now because I'll get in big trouble. If I answer you now, I can't you can say a blessing you can say what momentarily. You can say so I'll, the previous. I'll tell you yesterday. Yes. There are also 49 years before the Jubilee. Yesterday we counted nine, and if you stay right after the class, we'll dive in and we'll count tonight. Can't catch up after that on my own. What? Can't catch up for the last few days, just kind of do my own thing. Let's talk after the class. Let's talk after the class. 49 years before the Jubilee. Yes. Correct. Similar. Okay. So these are, let's continue on. So we've said there's ten attributes, but they're called crowns. And these are the seven evil midot. Where do the seven evil midot, we're back in the Tanya now. You, you have a copy. We're, we're on the fourth line. These are the seven evil midot, which stem from the four evil elements mentioned above. In chapter 1, we mentioned the four evil elements of water, wind, dust, and fire. And we mentioned how each one of these attributes creates negativity within us. We said how dust creates depression, wind is words when we talk, we waste our words, we said fire is anger that goes up. Water is pleasure. Water creates pleasure. So the four, the four components, these four elements, are the give birth to our emotions. What are midot? Well, midot are our emotions. Emotions of kindness, strictness, etc. And the intellect begetting them, which is subdivided into three. These are wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. The source of the midot. So we have that the seven attributes, the seven midot, come from the four elements. And then we have the three, the three parts of our faculty of intellect. Does anyone have a question? Please have a question. We're doing this backwards. Something's wrong here. Let's look back on that chart. If you look on the chart, what do you do first? Do you think first? Or do you have emotions first? First we think. We learned that our, we first we have wisdom. That, that drop of wisdom becomes understanding. That understanding then becomes knowledge. That knowledge then becomes love of God. Then becomes fear of God. Beautiful. Can I borrow this for a sec? Borrow this? Here, first we have wisdom, understanding, knowledge. Then comes our emotions of kindness, severity, beauty, victory. Yet, when we're talking about the animalistic soul, first we talk about our emotions. And then we talk about our intellect. So it's back. Something's wrong. 
No, it's not wrong. This is perfect. This is exactly the point. This is exactly the point. Our animalistic soul is an animal. Animals have intellect, but the intellect is there to help their emotions. Animals have intellect. They're brilliant. They could figure out how to get the food they want. But it's there to help their emotions. And that is what, that is what we're saying here. That yes, we have seven evil midot, and we have the intellect for the midot are according to the quality of the intellect. Of course our animalistic soul has intellect, but that intellect is there to help our desire. Let me give you three examples. Okay, I won't give it to you. Rabbi Zama will give it to you. Let's take a child. A child and an adult, do they have the same desires? No. Child, children and adults not only not necessarily, it's very uncommon for them to have the same desire. How many, how many of you would like to have a Laffy Taffy as much as a two-year-old child or a five-year-old child? You may like them, but you don't have that same, that same uh, lust for a, for a Laffy Taffy. You know, you have, we have, everyone has, we have a more advanced desires. Why is that? Well, that's because children don't have the greatest, their, their intellect is just maturing. Let's see that in three methods. We're going we're gonna to prove this regarding a child's love. We're going to prove this regarding a child's fear. And we're going to prove this regarding a child's tiferes boasting. For hence a child desires and loves petty things of inferior worth. Why? For his intellect is too immature to appreciate things that are much more precious. If you go to a child and say, I'll give you a car or a Laffy Taffy, he's going to take the Laffy Taffy. He just has no clue what he needs a car for. Likewise, is he provoked to anger over trivial things? I was putting my kids to sleep. And I was lying with my son and daughter in the same bed. They're both little kids. And they were fighting because he put his foot here. Yeah. But that is their world. That is, that is their world. So too with boasting and other midot. You know, what, what, uh, what children boast about, the fact that they're able to use a pencil, use a marker, or baruch, if you're going to boast about those things... It's not going to look the best for you. And that is all, all because of our intellect. So, <laughs> the more advanced our intellect is, the more advanced our desires are. Now, that's not, it's not a very good thing. It's not like, I'm going to get smart because then I'll... We're just we're pointing this out. That our intellect is the ability for our desires to be more advanced. Okay, so in summary, what have we discussed so far? We've said that we have an animalistic soul and the animalistic soul has the same parts as the godly soul. It has its three faculties. It has its intellect and it has its emotions. But the one twist is that we've said is that the most important part of the animalistic soul is the intellect or its emotions. Emotions. The most important part of the godly soul is its intellect or its emotions? Intellect. It's intellect. Very, very key point here.
uh, when children don't come here to the age of um, Children don't have the good. What happens at 12 and 13? What is a bar and bas mitzvah? And the answer is, yeah, at bar and bas mitzvah, children at 12 and 13, it's a famous question. It's like, what, what happened at 12 and 13? But the answer is, at 12 and 13, a child has the ability to stand up against bad. Against, against wrong. At 12 years old, a girl is able to look at something wrong and say, I know that's wrong, and I won't do it. Okay. 13 for a boy. Yes? Okay, but kids are smart, and they're sponges, right? Yeah. So you put a bunch of kids in, like, looking like it, Chabad kids, and they're raised together, they're smart, they're absorbing. That then I'm looking at public school, that they want the Laffy Taffy or the mechanical pencil because their peers have it. So it's not, can it, I'm not saying you can't, because I'm, I'm just questioning that they do may have, some, have that intellect, smarter than we're giving them, I guess. <laughs> they, they, they give an example. They say, they asked a child, an eight-year-old prodigy, brilliant child, to give a class to adults. And it was a brilliant class. The, children, the adults were all sitting there with their mouth open wide. It was an amazing class. And in the middle of the child, he's, he, got, he asked the question, and everyone there, they're like, so what's the answer? And a train passes by. And the child runs from the discussion to go see the train. Yeah. yeah. Smart kid. <laughs> so that's the same thing. Children are brilliant. We're not over here talking about the brilliance of children. We're, full, we fully agree that children are brilliant. The, the discussion here is, if children have the ability to connect what they're thinking about to action. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying only at 12 years old is it, is it um, <coughs> natural that your thought process, that, is, that your intellect will be able to control over your emotions. It's possible. It's not the norm. But it's not like every every eight year old has that capacity, but maybe some. Sure, there certainly could be some that are that are above that. Yeah, yeah. So now that we know the soul, we're going to learn the tragedy, and that is that if we allow our animalistic soul to think, speak, or do. We have just become run over by impurity. That means there is a, a walking human being that is surrounded by negative energy. Now that is a scary thought. There are two, remember, we have a body. Our body, is there's a fight. The fight of two souls. One soul, the godly soul wants to control our body. And the animalistic soul wants to control our body. But if we allow the animalistic soul to take over our body in a negative way, then we're walking surrounded by impurity. Impurity has controlled us. It's a very scary thought. Now these, let's just see this inside. Now these ten, back in the Tanya, second paragraph, 
Now these ten unclean categories, when a person meditates in them, thinks, or speaks them, or acts by them, thoughts speak in action, his thought which is in his brain, his speech which is in his mouth, and the power of action which is in his hands, together with his, his other limbs, all these are called the impure garments of these ten unclean categories because the ten unclean categories are closed are, are, are surrounding and becoming the clothing of the action, speech, or thought. So if we allow our animalistic soul to, to do something it's surrounding us and effectively it's controlling us. So there's a fight. It's the fight of two souls. It's the fight of humanity. You know, many, many times, and, and I highly encourage you to stick out to Tanya because if you're going to be able to just um, bear with what we're learning now, we're going to have the key to depression, melancholy, we'll have the key to many issues. But one of the points that, that Rabbi Shneer Zalman is going to make clear here is that Hashem doesn't want you to be an angel. And he clarifies what that means. What does it mean Hashem doesn't want you to be an angel? It means that Hashem wants that you should always be struggling. Mm. You know, sometimes when you find someone who has a handicap and you see them doing something normal, It's amazing to see. It's amazing. You see the effort they're putting into it. You see their happiness. You see Hashem is looking at us and He's saying there's nothing that is more powerful to me than to see you be in, be in bed one morning and say, I have no interest, Hashem, right now to get up and nonetheless do it. He doesn't want us to be tzaddikim. Hashem does not want us to just do everything because we're so inspired. No. Hashem has put us on this world to have, to have challenges. So when we learn about Klippa, we're not saying that, oh, now we learned about it and I'm going to leave this class and I'm never going to do anything bad again. I'm going to be perfect. No, that's not even what Hashem wants from us. So let's summarize what we've learned, and with that we'll conclude and take questions and answers. We learned that there's free choice. We learned the only way for Hashem to really give us free choice is by making the good and bad the same. So whatever the godly soul is, the animalistic soul is. Therefore the godly soul is made up of ten parts, the animalistic soul is made up of ten parts. Just like the godly soul has three garments, the garment of thought, speech, and action, so to the animalistic soul has the garments of thought, speech, and action. But we concluded and we said that yet, when we allow the thought, speech, and action of the animalistic soul to take over, we're treading in, in dangerous water. But we concluded saying that nonetheless, treading in dangerous water doesn't mean that we don't have the ability to survive. It doesn't mean that Hashem is not watching us and guiding us. On the contrary, He's completely looking over us. 
Are there any questions? Yes, David. If I may presume, what Rodney Steinsalt points out in various of his writings is that the goal is the striving, not the conclusion. And that as we reach and succeed at one level, we find facing us as another level which we must aspire to move on to. Mm -hmm. And that that is the goal, the striving and the achieving, and not arriving at any particular level of completion. Yes, w well said. The goal is the striving. I like that very much, yes. Any other questions? So is the struggle between the Yetzirah and the Yetzatov sort of representative of the... <coughs> Animalistic versus. <laughs> Mendel is asking, we, we learn that there's an evil inclination and we learn that there is a good inclination. Is that the same thing as the animalistic soul and the godly soul? The answer is no. Because when we learn about the animalistic soul and the godly soul, we're saying over here that there is much more than just an inclination. When I say they have an inclination, that means there's one soul, that is two inclinations. We're saying over here there's two souls. They're fighting over the body. There's two full... Could you, I don't, it's hard to imagine. Imagine that wherever you walk, there's two of you. That's what we're saying here. It's like, like I think we all need a lot more room. <laughs> That's, that's, we're saying it's not that there's one person, there's two people. There's that bipolar part. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, but the goal is to decrease the evil one, and does it hopefully vanish? The ultimate goal we're going to learn is to work with the evil one. Because the truth is, it's not evil, it's animalistic. So keep it in check. Keep it in check. Yeah. Evil we need to get rid of, but animalis a animals are very good. Animals are very good. And there's, there's one major quality of an animal over a human. And that is, animals oftentimes have much more energy than humans. So we learn that if we take the animal within us and attach it to the human soul, we're going to fly. It's kind of like a, a wild horse in a cart. Would you just tie a wild horse under it. If you tie a wild horse under your cart, you're going to go for a wild ride. But if you bridle that horse and contain its energy, it's going to take that cart where you want it to go. Exactly. Exactly. That's a good example. So, just to rephrase it, to, to be clear, a Jew doesn't have evil. A Jew has an animal part to him. That if he doesn't control, God forbid, could lead him to evil. That, that's, what we, that's what we mentioned earlier, your entire life you'll be doing that. It's not one of those things that we say, oh, if you do it for one year, you got it. It's, it's our entire life. I missed the first part of the free choice. Yeah. Um, I guess I can talk to you about that. Yeah. With that one. Okay, I'll be happy to talk about it. Well, so, 